The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So, uh, I think I got to remind myself how this in-season stuff works. This is kind of late to be getting a podcast out that recaps the night before action. My bad, dudes and dudettes. My bad. I got so settled in my off-season schedule that I kind of just went, all right, well, I'll just do it the way I've been doing it. But then I realized, no, nah, wait a minute. We got to cover this stuff a little bit earlier. So uh, goals, personal goals, get the shows out earlier in the day, particularly after tonight when we have our first big Wednesday of NBA action on the season. Good day to you all. Happy Wednesday, October the 20th. We got a day of basketball in the books and this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from Hoop Ball. That's always the easiest way to go. Hope you guys had a fun fantasy draft run-up season. We are still in the midst of 31 shows in 31 days. This is show number 20. Out of how many days? That's right, 20. We'll keep that going through the end of October so we don't miss anything because the first few days, really like the first five days of the NBA season, there is this complete and uh, this wild tidal wave of information that comes our way. And tonight is going to be sort of mission critical on that stuff. We were eased into it with only two games on NBA opening night yesterday, and we'll break those down right out of the shoot here, but we got a lot of things to cover on today's show. This will be kind of our first real homework show, since yesterday we could just be like, hey, watch both games. That was the homework. Today we're going to have to pick and choose, because there's a lot of basketball happening tonight. I think we're at 11 games this evening, so not everybody. There's actually still uh, four teams, if I'm not mistaken, is it right? Four teams that will have not played first two days of this season here? I might be getting that wrong. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. Point is, uh, you can't watch all 11. So we'll talk through some of that later in the podcast. We'll try to work through this thing chronologically today. For those that are new to the show, the way our in-season episodes work is that we profile the latest breaking news in the NBA. If anything happens sort of between the previous show and this show, and while we're doing one every single day, that does actually make kind of the Monday episode a little simpler, although we'll have to switch up a little bit. Monday is usually a reverse chronological lightning round weekend, but we actually can just cover Sunday's action on Monday's show. So we start the shows with NBA news, which, by the way, minimal this morning. Um, couple little pieces little tidbits that I'll drop on you here in probably the next uh, 70 or 80 seconds or so. Then we cover the action from the night before, trying to isolate the most interesting things that happened. I really don't ever want this show to become exclusively a box score analysis podcast. There's going to be a lot of that, particularly here in the early going, where every single game could have a storyline. It's not like January where it's like, okay, we know what this team is now. We don't even really need to talk about it. Then we segue into the upcoming night of action, everything working in its own little path, 
And that's where we assign homework. We talk about the individual things that, again, as we work towards the middle of the season, becomes a little bit more critical. Right now, you're kind of watching everything. And that's the way in-season shows go. We're going to have more guests this year. We'll have little featurettes with them. Uh, some of you may remember Brandon Marcus on the show a couple seasons back. He brought his buy low and sell high guys to the podcast. We're going to have Adam King on the show probably bi-weekly this year, possibly even more than that. We'll get into some of your best questions each week with Adam. Uh, hopefully we can talk to folks like Matt Smith, Josh Lloyd. We'll obviously have Brewski on as often as humanly possible, the big dog breaking down the NBA. Uh, Matt Straub from Roto World, he'll be on regularly. Jonas Nader, sorry, it's NBC Sports Edge. Ugh. I got it right when they were on the show. I screwed it when they weren't. Oh, well. But let's just jump into it today. I don't want to spend too much time here at the outset. Uh, news from this morning so far, and I'm sure there's going to be coming more coming over the next couple of hours. One of the reasons that doing today's show a tiny bit later than we normally should is that this is kind of the first big Wednesday. And so there was this assessment, there was a thought at least, that news might be breaking in the afternoon, but there really hasn't been very much other than one piece of good news. Chris Boucher expected to play in the Raptors season opener, so he's not going to miss any time with his dislocated finger. That is uh, wonderful news. I couldn't imagine a better thing happening for a player's value during the preseason than what happened with Boucher, who wasn't really a guy I was targeting, but when he started falling into the 70s to 80s range, we're talking about a guy who last year was an early 40s dude last season. Early 40s. I think he was like right on 40. Uh, 41. Okay, well, not right on 40, but very much early 40s. Chris Boucher was number 41 last year in 24 minutes a game. There's a lot of fear around his role with this Raptors team, and I think some of that is grounded in reality. They have Precious Achua there now. Pascal Siakam plays center. He did last year. Uh, they like Kim Birch. You could say, well, they had Aaron Baines last year, but he didn't end up really playing all that much. Birch did play down the stretch, and it didn't have that big of an impact on Boucher, but then Pascal Siakam was kind of in and out of the lineup at that point. He's out right now. So I don't think it, there should be much of an issue with Boucher finding a ton of time here the first four or five weeks of the season. We don't know it precisely when Siakam comes back. I'm assuming about a month, give or take, but these things are weird. They might, he might take longer. They may slow play a little bit. He might, come, he might surprise us and come back in two weeks. We don't know. Regardless, in 24 minutes a game last year, Boucher averaged 13.5 points, almost seven rebounds, half a block, two, or sorry, half a steal, two blocks, 51 from the field, 79 at the free throw line. He was really fantastic. So if you think he's going to get more minutes than that, there's upside beyond top 40. And if you're worried about him, do we really think he plays less than, like, 22 minutes a game this year? How much of a step back do we really see Boucher potentially taking? Not enough to drop him down from 40s to 80s, I wouldn't think. So the fact that he's playing here on opening night means that he may end up being one of the real draft day steals, especially when it didn't look like he was going to play to start the year. It always seemed like he was going to be back within the first one to two weeks, so he should have never really been downgraded all that much. I think there's just a fear around him. Uh, but again, once you get to that like late sixth, early seventh type of range on these guys, there's, that's a chance 
that's a reasonable time to take a swing on draft day. Hey, here's a guy that I just saw go top 40 last year. So he's playing. That's great news for Toronto, who should get off to a better start this year than the Tampa situation last year. And the other news is that Cade Cunningham is not expected to play with Detroit here their first couple of ball games. You know, the funny thing is, I think that's probably good for the Pistons as a sort of a win-loss perspective to start the year. This means that there's more continuity season over season, and they can kind of ease Cade in a little bit. It's almost like an excuse to just sort of play him into the rotation when he's right. Uh, that means that you'll probably, and I laugh as I say it a lot, you're probably going to see more Corey Joseph in this ball game. And then there's going to be a lot of reliance on Jeremy Grant the way that this team was last year, and he totally ran out of gas. But that's not going to happen on night number one. Um, so if you drafted Cade Cunningham, you just have to wait a tiny bit longer to have your early season. I mean, that that is very much a team fun kind of thing because there's going to be a real learning curve there. And uh, those are the two pieces of news that we've seen so far today. Want to remind everybody again, a big thank you, first of all, because, and I, I know that this is a little bit, a tiny bit self-serving, but I also do want to thank you guys because it seems as though you have now rewarded me for me doing all of these episodes. And what I mean by that is Monday this of this week, two days ago, was the single most downloaded day. That's not to say that the one, the Monday episode itself was the most downloaded episode. It wasn't. That type of thing usually takes a long time. Like at the end of a year, you look back and say, hey, which one of these shows ended up being the most found episode? But it was just the most episodes from the podcast ever listened to in one day. That's what Monday turned out to be, which, I mean, it's just... It blows my mind that we managed to get to that point. And so thank you very much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Very cool. And a lot of that is because you guys have taken the time to drop those five-star reviews on the show and hit the subscribe button and retweet stuff I do on Twitter and help people find me and the podcast. So thank you for that. Those of you that are sticking around and going to hang with me for the season, I'll ask you to keep doing the same thing. Please click subscribe. Please leave that five-star review. Write something funny if you want. That's cool. And find a way to tell someone about the show that maybe isn't in your league directly. Someone who's in a different league. The stuff that you do on social media kind of helps with that. And that's how I keep growing, and that's how we keep growing at HoopBall. We can continue to do more, and I continue to have fun with it. Because the day that this thing stagnates is probably the day that I think maybe I should be trying something new. And I'd rather just keep doing this, because it's fun, damn it. And I'd rather just, you know keep doing it. So thank you for Monday. Thank you for the last few years here on Fantasy NBA Today, and we can win some damn fantasy leagues, of which I'm in far too many this season. I can already see from looking at my various open browser tabs that it's going to be a haul. Yesterday, Tuesday, season got underway. Milwaukee got their rings and got themselves an opening night victory over a Brooklyn team that had the same issues on night number one this year that they had during pretty much every moment last season, other than when they walled off Giannis and the Bucks barely figured it out. I'll tell you, Giannis figured it out against Phoenix. He changed his offensive game in a way that 
allowed him to maximize his strengths without being forced into the things that the opponents wanted him to do. We talked about this at ridiculous length during the playoffs because we were making bets on those games, and it was important to see what was going on. What Giannis did during the playoffs, I'll just jog your memory a little bit, was because the games were slowing down in the postseason, teams were getting back on defense. They weren't crashing the boards. They were just trying to get back and slow down Giannis in transition and and wall off the paint effectively. So Giannis started working off the ball a little bit more, getting to basically the edge of the paint by rolling when the defense was moving. He wasn't getting all the way to the rim because opponents still were able to sort of pack the paint against the Bucks in total in the, their playoff series. And so Giannis was just pulling up. It wasn't even jumpers. He was closer than jumpers. It was like eight-foot hook shots or little eight-foot one-handers right at the edge of the painted area, and he was draining them like they were going out of style. And at that point, there was just no stopping Milwaukee. The, the quality of shots that that Bucks team is going to get all season long this year are extraordinary, and they kind of picked up where they left off. Giannis made seven out of nine free throws. It, it sparked a Twitter debate as to whether or not he had completely fixed his free throw stroke by having one game where he was one free throw better than his, his average last year. I mean, we are really into small sample size theater here. Uh, I'm inclined to not believe what I'm seeing. And everybody's like, well, he changed his stroke. Yeah, I mean, have you watched bad free throw shooters over the last 30 years? They have a new stroke every three weeks at the line. When it's working, it looks great, and they keep doing it. When it's not, suddenly they change it again. I don't think Giannis needs to change almost anything. The adjustment he made in the playoffs last year, as that freak of a human is currently constructed, makes him unstoppable. Because he no longer needs to get all the way to the rim, he only needs to get to within 10 feet of it. And he's still hitting like 70% of his shots from that distance. He eliminates the turnovers, and he just makes a bucket every damn time. And he was only pretty good in this opening game. But Giannis isn't the story. I did want to you know, mention the free throw thing, because if he goes 7 out of 9 at the foul line every night, then that's a way that he moves back into the first round. That's the risk that everybody was always taking, grabbing Giannis at like 4 or 5, is what if it doesn't get better? Otherwise, you know what you're going to get out of that dude. Storylines in this ballgame, not Giannis and not even the superstars because Harden was good. He didn't make a ton of his shots, but he made his free throws. He was distributing. He looked fantastic. He looks like an early first rounder. So did Kevin Durant. No surprises there. The surprises in this game, number one, Nick Claxton started and played 24 minutes. We'll talk about him in a second. Surprise number two, Patty Mills made seven three-pointers in this ballgame. We'll talk about him in a second. Surprise number... Three, Pat Connaughton came off the bench for 20 points for Milwaukee. We'll talk about him as well. Surprise number four, Drew Holiday got hurt 17 minutes in. Which, by the way, not at all a surprise, given how many games that dude has played. Luckily, just a heel contusion sounds like it's a short-term thing, but still a pain in the butt. So the real surprise, number, what was I at, four, was Grayson Allen filling in as sort of de facto offensive initiator on that Buck side. And there's a story behind every one of these surprises I just brought up. We will address them one by one. Nick Claxton, starting and playing 24 minutes. Is this real or is this a mirage? This is real. 
And this was a reason why I think Alex Rickling was sort of leading the charge on take Claxton with your last round pick. He's not wrong at all. The problem with Claxton, we saw it last year, was that even when he did get additional minutes on the floor, and there were little, uh, like little brief runs. What was it? I feel like it was in maybe March. Might have even been April last year with Claxton, where he did sort of fumble his way into 23, 24, 25 minutes of ballgame. I think LaMarcus Aldridge had retired. Blake Griffin might have been hurt. Kevin Durant was out. DeAndre Jordan was just sort of in the doghouse at that point. And he had these games where he was like 16 points, 9 rebounds, and a block. That's a pretty good ballgame. He had a 16-3 rebound, 3-block game in there. 11-8 and eight with 2 blocks. 3-7 uh, and seven with 1 block. There's obviously going to be a lack of consistency for him. But he plays 24-25 minutes a game. He's probably going to be in the mid... Above 1.5, but less than 2. Probably between 1.5 and, and 2 blocks per ball game. He's not the world's greatest rebounder particularly when you consider the fact that Kevin Durant is playing then small forward in some of these lineups. So that's a hell of a rebounding small forward. Blake Griffin was out there. That's a pretty good rebounding power forward still. When LaMarcus is on the floor, that means that Claxton's probably off. I don't think those two guys could go at the same time. So Claxton, rebounding-wise, decent, but I wouldn't say spectacular. He's not like a blow-the-doors-off-the-building-level rebounder. And then the real issue is that he is an abysmal foul shooter. He's almost Andre Drummond bad, back when Drummond was particularly bad. I know this is only Claxton's third season in the NBA, and I also know that he'd only played 47 regular season games before last night. But in those 47 regular season games, he was basically a 49% free throw shooter, sub-50. That's really hard to overcome. Remember what Andre Drummond was like before he got his free throw stroke up to 60%? Remember when he was in the 40s? He was like 18 points, 18 rebounds, a steal and a half, and two blocks. And because of his free throw shooting, he was still like outside the top 50 with those other numbers that basically made him an early second rounder. That's how far that shoved him down the board. Nicholas Claxton is not about to put up Drummond-level numbers in points or rebounds or steals or blocks, but he is bringing to the table that, you know, one and a half for three at the free throw line in 24 minutes of ballgame. That is untenable. So while as much as I love the kid's upside in field goal percent and blocks, I refuse to have him on a roto team where he's going to go out there and potentially miss three free throws a game. He hurts too much and doesn't help enough to overcome it. Like, we, it, it, we can't see it now. He's ranked number 36 after one day of basketball. But that's because about 36 guys have played basketball. <laughs> that's why. That's not true. How many guys played yesterday? 44? 46? But regardless, he's in the bottom 25% of that, basically. Bottom third. Exclusively because of the free throw shooting. So I want it to work. I really do. But he needs to get that 48% up to 60-something or we can't do it. You want to sit on that and see if it comes around? 
have at it, but not me. Surprise number two was Patty Mills making seven three-pointers. He's going to get open looks from three, but he's also not going to make seven of 11 shots every night. They were the only buckets he made in that ballgame, seven three-pointers. And outside of that, he had two boards, two assists, a steal, and a block. The block is not going to happen. The steal probably isn't even going to happen on a nightly basis. And two rebounds and two assists leaves very little wiggle room for someone. If he only makes three three-pointers, that's a pretty bad fantasy game. Patty Mills makes a lot of sense in points leagues where you can just sort of cash in on three-pointers. He's very much a specialist, but the upside there just doesn't exist because he's a one-category pony. He's going to have open looks, though, and if your team is in, a, is in dire straits from three, fine, but there's not a whole lot there. On the other side in this ballgame, Pat Connaughton came off the bench for 20 points on only 13 shots. He hit four three-pointers, made some other stuff besides threes at the very least. Four additional shots, I believe. Is that right? Eight for 13. Three boards, two assists, a steal, a block. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll fall into a steal and a block more often than Patty Mills does, but I'm actually not fully sold on Connaughton either. Largely because he's probably not going to play 30 minutes every ballgame. There's no Bobby Portis here, so that allowed them to... They, they kind of had to go a tiny bit smaller. The guy I like on the Milwaukee side is actually Grayson Allen, who kind of had the quieter game among these more fringy fantasy players. And first, let me, let me add the disclaimer. All of this goes out the window when Dante DiVincenzo gets healthy, but his timeline is a bit murky right now, and it's weeks and not days. So Grayson Allen comes out with 10 points, four boards, six assists. That came out of nowhere a little bit. Three threes. Two steals. He's a good steals guy. He's a good threes guy. And, again, he's playing in an offense that's going to get him looks. He'll get some assists, too, simply by being on the floor with Middleton and Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And he's a part of that starting unit. He's the starting shooting guard, so he kind of has the first crack at those minutes. From this ballgame, the guy that I say, hey, stream him and see how long it takes you is Grayson Allen. I like that he's starting, kind of one of the the check plus marks on Nicholas Claxton. He's starting too. But where Claxton has this one thing that's going to ankle weight him down to the bottom of the ocean, Allen doesn't. Grayson Allen fits on this team. Tough-nosed, good defender. He's Dante DiVincenzo's Dante DiVincenzo backup. He's, he's the understudy. So he can just go out there and do a little well-rounded fantasy game, and what he has over Dante is that he's a better foul shooter. So Allen actually has the better fantasy potential over DiVincenzo, believe it or not. They have a very similar profile, uh, but DiVincenzo probably slightly better from the field, and Allen slightly better at the free throw line. Interesting, I know. Streamer with benefits kind of thing. Pick him up, roll him out there. See how long it lasts. Maybe you get a little extra out of it. And then if Drew Holiday misses time, then Allen has even a little bit more wiggle room. Game two from last night. Warriors beat the Lakers 121-114. Uh, Warriors was our our free play at over at Hoopball Gaming. Dubs plus three and a half. Almost went money line on that one. This one was an easy play. Play in tournament revenge for Golden State. Team that punted him down to Memphis, and then Memphis punted him out. Warriors will probably bring this same fire against the Grizzlies. And then more than anything, 
Lakers had two guys on that roster that had played together before, basically, and then you can count Dwight Howard coming back to the team, but the rest of that roster was new. Malik Monk, new. Rondo, gone and back again. Jordan, new. Bazemore, new. Bradley, gone and there and gone and back again. Mello, new. Dwight Howard, there, back, and return. Westbrook, new. What we definitely knew about this game was that someone in the Lakers' core was going to have to just sort of play sidekick. And Westbrook seemed willing to do it and ultimately ended up having a very bad ball game. LeBron and AD, they said, look, this is still our team. They went out there and they put up giant stats, but it wasn't enough. And the thing we always forget from a basketball standpoint is when you jam a bunch of players together, everybody's like, oh, stars will figure it out. Yeah, often, offensively, there's some clunkiness to it, but stars sort of go make shots. These guys haven't played together defensively before. They don't have their rotations figured out. They don't, offensively, they don't know where the guys want to be to take their shots. So LeBron has to figure out where all of his passes need to go. That's why Brown only had five assists. He didn't know where these guys wanted to shoot from. Westbrook only had four assists. He doesn't know where they want to shoot from. Defensively, who's covering for who? Who switches where? Communication on defense. Who's in charge of that? These are all the things that get sorted out in real time. And you're going to see a Lakers team just get a little bit better every week. But at the beginning of the season, we are fading them hard. And I went on BetQL yesterday in the morning and I said, I hate, I fade the Lakers this year. It's too many new pieces. They'll win games down the stretch. They're going to be really good by January. But when a season win total says you need to win 50-some-odd ball games, you can't pee your pants the first two months of the season figuring things out, and that's exactly what this Lakers team is going to have to do. They're just going to pee themselves until it works itself out. Every day they'll get a little bit better. What this game did tell us about the Lakers is that no one outside of the main three guys is going to have any fantasy value, and Westbrook is way outside looking in at the moment. Uh, and listen, I yelled at you guys for the last like three years in a row, don't touch him. Some of you still did it. I'll never forgive you for this. Why do you listen to my podcast every day if you're not going to listen to me on these, these critical moments? Over on the Warriors' side, Steph Curry triple-doubled in a bad shooting ball game, but he did other stuff there. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was on a minute's limit, getting his knee right, but he was fine. Draymond Green was actually on a minute's limit, and he was inconsistent. But the story on the Warriors' side, two of them. Jordan Poole, 20 points in 25 minutes. He's going to take a lot of shots here. Fantasy game is not super diversified for Poole. Never has been. So he's going to need to score a bunch. Really strong points league option. Probably good enough as a nine-category guy here until Klay Thompson comes back. But don't expect a ton of rebounds or assists or steals out of Poole. It's going to be threes. It's going to be scoring in general on probably not that efficiently. And then generally, he'll make his free throw. I know he missed the one last night. Which, by the way, difference in the ballgame, Lakers shot 47% of the foul line, and I want to talk about Anthony Davis here in just a moment. But first, uh, Nemanja Bjelica. That's probably the big story from this ballgame. 26 minutes, 15, 11, and 4, a steal and a three-pointer. But it's worth pointing out, from an, an effective field goal standpoint, he was basically as good as you can get. He went 6 for 7 from the field. One of those was a three-pointer, and 2 for 2 at the free-throw line. He ain't going to shoot that well most ball games. He's also probably not going to grab 11 rebounds most games where Draymond only grabs 8 and Steph gets 10. 
Some of that is because in this particular game, Dre was needed to box out Anthony Davis. Go keep AD off the glass. Go keep uh, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, whoever, off the glass, Draymond. Someone else is going to have to go and get it. So if you think Bielitz is going to average 11 rebounds a ballgame this year, I've got a bridge to sell you. I'm okay with picking him up, understanding that he's probably also going to be one of the most heavily dropped players in fantasy next week because 26 minutes as like the fifth option on a team is probably not enough. What's good about Bielitsa, and listen, like those of you that have listened to the podcast for a number of years, we were all over him on Sacramento a couple of years ago. Remember the Bielitsa voodoo doll joke we had rolling because every time one Kings big man came back, another one got hurt just in time for Nemanja to keep his starting job and do what he was doing, which was like 12 points, seven rebounds, three assists, a steal, half a block. Like he was doing stuff across the board and he has that roto appeal. I just cannot for the life of me see how he continues to get it done in only 26 minutes of ballgame. He's never been a particularly high usage guy. He's not a particularly high defensive stats guy. Like, if you look at the the Sacramento season, that was the good one. That was 2019-2020. He averaged 28 minutes of ballgame there. 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, and half a block. Two three-pointers a game, and he was in that top 75 range. And then last night, in 26 minutes, 2 minutes less, mind you, than the 28 he averaged in Sacramento... He scored three and a half more points, grabbed four and a half more rebounds, one extra assist. Also, by the way, two for two at the free throw line for a career 77% foul shooter. Everything about that game yesterday screamed outlier on Bielitsa. Career 47% shooter from the field. Career 39% shooter from downtown. He made two more shots, maybe even three more shots than you would have expected on a given night. So take four to six points away. The extra rebounds, nine defensive rebounds yesterday. He's never averaged more than 4.8 defensive rebounds in a season. And he had nine. He had two offensive rebounds. Highest he's ever averaged there was 1.6. That was in that, that was actually the year before in Sacramento when he was at 5.8 rebounds per ball game in about 23 minutes a game. That's probably your target. 23, 24 minutes a game, 10 points, six boards, two assists, 0.7 steals, 0.7 blocks, and a little over a three-pointer a game. He hovers somewhere near the top 100 in that role, and then it shrinks again when Draymond Green's minutes cap gets lifted, when Andrew Wiggins' minutes cap gets lifted, when James Wiseman comes back and plays any minutes at all in the rotation, and then when Clay comes back, everybody gets moved around again to clear out 30-plus minutes and a crap ton of shots. So fine, if you want to roll with it, be my guest. He may have a short-term window here. But also bear in mind, yesterday's season opener will almost definitely be one of his five best games of the year. This is your don't-feel-bad-if-you-didn't-pick-him-up moment on Fantasy NBA Today. And the most important thing, perhaps, from that ball game, not Bielitsa, not the fact, by the way, that Otto Porter didn't really get to play. You can drop him, by the way, if you want to. I, 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 don't, I still don't think he's in shape. Most important thing from yesterday is that Anthony Davis still has free throw yips. 
there's no way around it at this point. It's still a problem. He went just two for seven at the foul line. He's become a weird semi-punt free throw. Like, I don't think he's going to be a 65 percenter. I don't think he's going to be a 29 percenter. But this was a guy where free throws were sort of a bread and butter thing for him. Remember, there were games where he was hitting like 16 out of 18 foul shots. Really big for your fantasy team. Uh, Now he's going to shy away from the free throw line. That's going to mess up other parts of his game. And if he gets there, he's going to go like four for six or six for nine or something like that. And that's bad. And it's why I didn't take a chance on him on the turn in any of my leagues. And as you guys heard, either here or on Twitter, I pretty much got randomized into the 11 or 12 hole in every draft I did. So AD was always there at 13 and 14. I had a chance at AD in every single draft and every single one. I went Beal, Paul George, and Jimmy Butler in some weird combination in that zone at picks 11 and 14 or 12 and 13 together. Didn't go AD in any of them precisely because it looked like he had developed free throw yips and nothing we've seen since has given us the confidence to say he doesn't have them anymore. What to watch for on Big Wednesday is the uh, last and relatively large segment here on today's show. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody here at HoopBall, we are recruiting for the HoopBall sales team. If you want to be a part of the club that's bringing in dollars here at HoopBall. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. I can give you guys a little bit more information on that. If you are good on the phones and stellar with emails and you're persistent and organized, it's an opportunity to make a few bucks as well. Commissionable sales at HoopBall. Hit me up. At Dan Bespris, we want, as Dan points at the non-existent screen, we want you. So bug me, why don't you? By the way, I think I'm doing a pretty good job of answering questions on social media so far. I'm really trying hard to get to almost every single one of them. Like, sometimes it's a day later, <laughs> but I'm getting there. The folks that get the quick response are the ones in the in the HoopBall Discord, the premium Discord. That's where the good stuff goes down. Uh, Adam King and myself, we have a live thread that rolls during the basketball action every night. So Fantasy Pass subscribers get instant access to thoughts from myself and Adam. I think I'm pretty good at this. Adam, certainly one of the best. You don't even have to wait for the tweet storm after the ball game on Twitter. You get it as the games are happening. Really awesome reason to get yourself a Fantasy Pass for the season now. Those of you that got a draft guide or a B-150 by itself, your Discord membership expires today because the season has started now. And you can upgrade to the Fantasy Pass. There's no more uh, six-month lock on it once the season begins. You can go month-to-month on that monthly subscription. Just $5.99 a month gets you all the goodies. Projections, uh, live chats, Discord reviews. I mean, it is... The access that HoopBall provides is easily number one in the fantasy community. You get access to the pros who can help you answer your questions and fix up your fantasy team. It's a big what to watch for tonight, but I'm going to try to go through this at somewhat of a decent clip because there's kind of something in every ballgame. And let's just start at the top. Indiana, a lot of health issues right now for the Pacers. So kind of curious where they go. Karis LeVert is out for a couple of weeks at least. So where does that leave the Pacers? Because there's no TJ Warren either. Malcolm Brogdon is actually, I think, questionable for this ballgame. 
Someone like a TJ McConnell likely to have a really big role to start the year and probably a decent one throughout the season, frankly. We, you heard him. He's one of the D-bombs this season. But then what about the rest of it? Could Justin Holiday potentially do enough? What does this new look Rick Carlisle Pacers team look like this year? Miles Turner, Demonis Sabonis. There's a lot to keep track of with that team. Charlotte's kind of the other side of the coin where they have everybody ready to go. They've added Kelly Oubre. Hayward is healthy. LaMelo Ball. Uh, they've got Terry Rozier. Miles Bridges. Like, the list out there goes on. P.J. Washington. Is there enough for all of that stuff? I'm actually genuinely concerned that, like, there's just too many guys that need to do stuff. Not that that's bad for the team. In fact, it's quite good. They have depth this year, at least for now. Nobody hurt yet. Uh, but fantasy-wise, it's possible that everybody out there just takes a little hit. Chicago, day one, fitting the new pieces together. This will be a good team by midseason, but I think much like the Lakers, it, you know, this is going to be Zach Levine's team, and they'll probably, the new guys, even if you, if you call Vooch a new guy too, also kind of, they'll defer to Levine here at the outset. But there's going to be a lot of trying to fit the pieces together. My thoughts on the Bulls is that you might have some buy-low opportunities on these guys about two weeks into the season while they're kind of figuring things out. Like, what if Vooch gets off to a top 40 start? Maybe you could get him for a third rounder. What if Levine gets off to, like, a top 45 start? Maybe you get him for a third or fourth rounder. Lonzo, he could get off to, like, a top 75 start or worse. If he's not taking many shots, you might be able to get him for a sixth rounder, fifth, sixth rounder at some point. DeMar DeRozan. I don't even know how, I mean, he's, his stuff translates maybe better than some of the others, but who knows? Look for buy lows on Chicago, maybe not next week, but the week after as people start to get a little soured on it. Pistons with no Cade Cunningham, so it's still going to be a lot of Jeremy Grant looking to see what the Olenek, Isaiah Stewart, Stewart big man minute distribution looks like. I wouldn't read too much into the guard stuff until Cade comes around, but you might have a very short-term thing. Washington, Daniel Gafford. What, do his, what does his role look like here at the beginning of the season? Beal, Dinwiddie, that type of stuff. I think we have a pretty good feel for it. What is Davis Bertans going to do? Can he become Davis again? Toronto, we already talked about a little bit. Chris Boucher being active. A uh, lot of Scotty Barnes hype during the... Uh, during the preseason, I don't know. I mean, I'm inclined to think that most of these young guys take time. They take time. Boston, I don't think there's a ton to think about yet. Big Al is out with COVID. Jalen Brown might still be out with COVID. And if that's the case, then it's just more stuff for everybody else. Continue our romp through the Knicks. We'll try to figure out what the hell's going on with some of the new guys out there. Mitch Robinson, good to go, it seems. So that's fun. So what does the Mitch Rob versus Nerlens Noel position battle look like? And then Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker, what are their roles going to be? Cleveland, I'm mostly watching Lowry Markinen. I think we have a pretty good feel for what Colin Sexton will do. Pretty good feel for Darius Garland. Pretty good feel for Jared Allen. I think Mobley, you probably see him in that 20-whatever range and then slowly ramp up. I'm, I'm mostly looking at marketing what do they actually want at him because they traded for him and then gave him a crap ton of money so presumably they want a lot
Memphis, we always have a thousand questions with Memphis, but it really boils down to who is Taylor Jenkins going to give his minutes to? How many center minutes does JJJ play here, and how many go to Steven Adams? What is slow-mo going to do? Will DeAnthony Melton have a big enough role to start the year? I think probably yes. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. I have Melton in a number of spots. In games cap formats, I'm probably not playing him today. That might come back to bite me. I mean, if we find out he's starting, that probably changes my my outlook a little bit. But a lot of questions out of Memphis. Houston, tons of questions. Sounds like they're willing to play their old guys here at the start of the year. We've heard Eric Gordon might be getting a starting job. Daniel House, questionable for the uh, because I believe he had a child born. So he may miss the game for the birth of a kid. But sounds like he'll get some minutes. Daniel Tice seems to be the starting center. That puts Christian Wood at power forward. But then what does that mean for all the other guys? Jay Sean Tate, Kevin Porter Jr., KJ Martin, Jalen Green. Like, everybody's on the Shengun freight train, but that dude's, to me, way down the pecking order at the start of the season. So I, I think Houston's a spot where preseason and young guy shine may have come too soon. We'll see, though. We'll see. Minnesota, they're a fun team, although I think we pretty much know what they are. Philadelphia in tumult. Is Ben Simmons even playing? We know he got suspended from the team for a game, but do we know if he got suspended for an actual game? If he's out, Matisse Thibault's my guy. I know Tyrese Maxey's the one that everybody's charging for because everybody likes scoring more than I do. But if I can throw Thibault into a lineup and get five defensive stats in one game, hell yeah, I'm doing it. Pelicans, I think we have a pretty good feel for this team. You guys know I'm not a big Nikhil Alexander-Walker guy because of the efficiency stuff, but he should get plenty of looks. Orlando, Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba at center. That's a confusing spot. I like Bamba. You guys know that. Chuma Okiki, what is he going to be this year? Because he looked pretty good right before he turned his ankle late last season, and he's had almost no hype at all this preseason. Magic made up a whole bunch of guards that are more points league ready than category leagues. So if you're in points leagues, guys like Cole Anthony, those guys make sense. We do more category discussions on this pod. And for that, not that interested. Last few teams here, San Antonio, uh, big time turnover. We know Derek White. We know DeJounte Murray. We know Jakob Pertle. But will there be anyone else? Will Doug McDermott make a splash? <laughs> I mean, anything can happen. Oklahoma City. That team was all inefficiency at the end of last year. Bunch of guys that couldn't shoot from anywhere on the floor. Now they got SGA back, so at least that's one. Is Derek Favors going to play? If he does, how much? Can any of the other guys actually take a step forward? Field goal or free throw percent? Baisley, Dort, Maladone. All these guys were horrible at shooting the basketball from pretty much everywhere. The world is all about Josh Giddy right now. I don't, like, who's he taking the ball from? Shea? I don't know, man. I think things could be real ugly in Oklahoma City this year. Like, real ugly. Utah, nothing there, really. Denver, pretty easy to handicap. Phoenix, same story. Sacramento, relatively easy to handicap right now, believe it or not. Marvin Bagley and some drama there as the Kings... They say he's not really like a regular part of the rotation, and then his agent put out a letter about it. Cool, man. Uh, Bagley's not that good, so starting a fire in a place where it's not going to 
no one's paying attention to it. Otherwise, Kings are straightforward. You got Fox, you got Halliburton, you got Heald, you got Rashawn Holmes, you got safety net Harrison Barnes. And then with Portland, I'm watching Larry Nance Jr. We'd love to see what his actual role is going to be. My guess is he comes off the bench and plays a ton of backup center and power forward minutes. What does that get him to? 25 range, 25, 26, something like that. I think he's going to be one of the best picks in fantasy this year. If he can stay healthy, he may end up being absolutely one of the best picks. If he's not that healthy, he just ends up as a good one. But we obviously need him to play more than half the season, which is where he got to last year. And that's kind of what we're watching for on this gigantic Wednesday, which means, you know, from a homework perspective, you kind of have to pick and choose your battles a little bit. So I would look at, uh, I don't know that there's going to be an obvious pickup in a situation like Indiana, Charlotte, Chicago, Detroit. There might be some information that comes out of that one. Washington, I think, could be a spot we find some fantasy value so let's watch Washington-Toronto. We'll put that one on our homework list. Uh, Cleveland-Memphis probably goes on the homework list. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. And Orlando-San Antonio goes on the homework list. Those are the three. I know a couple of those are going basically at the same time, but let's do our best to watch those games in as much real-time action as we possibly can, and then we can kind of report back on it on tomorrow's podcast, which, by the way, we won't spend quite so much time on each individual moment But we only had two games to cover on today's show, so we got to dive in a little bit deeper. Okay, first regular season pod in the books, man. That was fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm Dan Bespris. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Back at you tomorrow. I'll break down a big Wednesday, see if we can't find some gems. And, of course, hit me up. Hit me up. First of all, if you have a premium subscription right now, if you've got a Fantasy Pass, you really need to get into Discord because that's where, again... We are discussing these types of moves in real time. There's no waiting period anymore in there. Not even until the end of the games at the end of the night. We want to do right by the subs. That's what we really want there. If you're paying for a hoop ball subscription, you're going to get stuff a little bit ahead of everybody else. That's the way it works. Okay, done for real this time. Have a great uh, whatever the hell day it is. Wednesday? Yeah, that's right. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.